Command Randy Savage, Sarasota, Florida. Come on in. You're going to be defending against the dragon, Ricky Steamboat. What's the cup for? WrestleMania 3, Pontiac, Michigan. Yeah, 90,000 plus people watching right there. And this is Ricky the Dragon Steamboat's cup of coffee in the big time. Yeah, cup of coffee in the big time because you'll never get closer than now. I am the Intercontinental Heavyweight Champion and I will remain the Intercontinental Heavyweight Champion. And George the Animal Steel on the outside will be no factor yeah you say no factor obviously he is a factor or you wouldn't even brought it up oh wow mr sarcasm yeah i don't care if you got 23 wrestlers around the outside and it doesn't even matter no because i am ready and i will not let this opportunity slip through my fingers cup of coffee man yeah man wow man freak out Randy Macho Man Savage, um, one of Sarasota's very own. Uh, yeah, many people didn't know that. Lived here in Sarasota. My name is Joe Davis. I'm one of the lead pastors here. And by the way, I just want to make sure you know that video in the front, the ten, top 10 Macho Man moves, there was a miscommunication between me and Kevin. It was supposed to be the Ten Commandments video, but for somehow <laughs> that got mixed up. I apologize. Um, today, Jesus in Genesis week 12, we've been going through the book of Genesis and looking at pictures of Jesus within the stories of Genesis. And today, the sermon is entitled Grace Smackdown. Now you see where the wrestling theme comes from. Grace Smackdown is Genesis 32, verses 22 to 31. And it's the story of when Jacob wrestled with God. You see how I did that? You see that? Very clever, isn't it? So. <clears throat> Let's look at the passage. <clears throat> the same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants and 11 children, and crossed the ford, of the, uh, the ford of the Jabbok, and he took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone on the other side of the stream. And a man wrestled with him until the break of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the day is broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me, which is interesting. You've been wrestling with a guy all night, and you won't let him go unless he blesses you. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. That's what Israel means. God prevails. God wins. Then Jacob asked him, Please tell me your name. But the guy he was wrestling with said, Why is it you ask me my name? And there he blessed him. Didn't give him his name. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed into Penuel, limping because of his hip. It's a pretty amazing story, and we're going to look at this passage. What we like to do at Grace Life is we like to look at every passage in three ways. We first look at the history of a passage. What about man? What did he do, and why and how did he do it? Then we look at the theology, right? What about God? What did he do, and why and how did he do it? And then and only then can we understand about the devotional. What about me? What am I supposed to do, and why and how do I do it? How do I change? And so we're going to start with the history. I want to talk about habits that are hard to break. Just so you understand who Jacob was, we talked about this last week, how he deceived his brother and deceived his father. Well, Jacob had a habit of being a deceiver. He preyed on his brother's weakness and stole his birthright. 
He conspired with his mother to deceive his father. And you know, something else happened when Jacob's uncle deceived him. Jacob was all righteous about that and judgment and did not want to forgive his uncle who cheated him. And throughout his life, Jacob displayed a disturbing tendency to fulfill his own flesh and his own desires and living on his own self-reliance while at the same time being judgmental of others who were doing the same thing. Even after last week, we talked about this amazing grace life moment he had where God gave him a dream and said, don't worry, even though you're a sinner, I'm still going to keep all my promises to you. Even after that incredible grace life moment with the dream of the stairway to heaven, he still fights grace and all the benefits of being a child of promise. And I'm hoping you'll see today that in many ways, all of us are a lot like Jacob. We are constantly fighting grace. So that's the history of what's going on. You understand what Jacob's doing here, and he's relying on his own energy, and God gets him alone for a night. Let's look at the theological. God's relentless grace. Here's what happens. God puts Jacob on the ropes. Think about that as a wrestling term. You know, he's got him up against the ropes. God challenges Jacob's reliance on his own strength, his own abilities, and his own wisdom And this challenge that he offers Jacob that night is not just spiritual, but it's emotional and it's actually a physical challenge. Imagine what you would be thinking if God challenged you all three ways. As a matter of fact, many of you have been challenged by God in all three ways. Perhaps you didn't recognize it was God challenging you, but you were being challenged. And this is what's going on with Jacob. God puts Jacob on the ropes. He has nowhere else to escape, nowhere else to turn. It's just him and God. And God puts a submission hold on Jacob. Remember those submission holds? For some of you, now, for those of you that are godly people that never watched wrestling, I understand you may not get this, but some of my best childhood memories go back to wrestlers I would watch on television. And don't worry, it's all fake. We know that, right? It's fake. Coop, it's fake. Trust me, okay? It's not real. Remember those uh, submission holds? Each wrestler would have his own special submission hold, and Superfly Snooker would fly off the top rope and hit you right. Right? That, that was a good one. Uh, Macho Man, all that stuff off the top of the ropes. Dusty Rhodes had that atomic elbow. Right? And so there's these submission holds that we always liked. And we liked at the very end of a match, a, a good guy wrestler is battling with a bad guy wrestler. And you don't know what's going to happen. And the good guy's down and then he's up. And at the very end, they're both staggering. They barely have enough energy. But somehow... The good guy has enough energy and stamina to put his signature submission hold on his opponent. And the fans go wild. Yes! I remember uh, there was one guy that had a, um, a submission hold, it was a sleep hold. And uh, the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes, was wrestling him. And the guy had him in a sleep hold. And uh, it looked like Dusty Rhodes was going to be out, right? They do the, like one, two, and all of a sudden the crowd starts chanting, USA! And right before he's up there, he's getting it, and he breaks the submission hold. Y'all remember that? It's just me. I love that stuff. Well, God has a submission hold he puts on Jacob. He dislocates his hip. And what happens is after that dislocated hip, he has a permanent reminder of his action with God, and he walks with a limp the rest of his life. And you know what else happens in this? God removes Jacob's mask. 
That was always exciting too. Remember, you have a wrestler that had a mask on. You wonder who that wrestler could be, right? And people are trying. And finally, you get him. They they pull the mask off. That's what happens here with Jacob. Because in that culture, let me explain to you what would happen. In that culture, when you came up against a stranger, if the stranger said, "What is your name?" and you gave the stranger your name, you were saying, "Stranger, you are in authority over me." You would never give up your name to someone who was below you. And so the guy that Jacob's wrestling with says, what is your name? And Jacob says, my name is Jacob, which means deceiver. So not only was he giving his name to somebody, showing that this person he was wrestling with was an authority, but he's also confessing his sinfulness at the same time. In a wrestling match with Jacob and his will against God's grace, grace won. Because in the end, Jacob said, my name is Jacob. You are in authority. Here's what's interesting, though. Here's what Jacob does. He has this pattern. He still tries to get the guy to give him his name. Okay, I gave you my name. What's your name? And the guy says, why are you asking me? See, Jacob doesn't totally give up yet, even though he's, he's up against the ropes and, and he has no chance to get out. And there's a submission hold. He can't walk anymore. And the guy says, what's your name? And Jacob says, I'm deceiver. And Jacob says, what is your name? And the guy said, I'm not telling you. I'm in charge. Still holding on to his self-reliance, at the very last moment, he tries to get the man to surrender his name. He's still trying at this point to control his own spiritual destiny. God does not surrender the name. Jacob says, please tell me your name. But the man said, why is it you ask me my name? And then finally, Jacob realizes who his opponent is. And then the opponent does something amazing. After Jacob relinquishes his name... The opponent says, you're no, you're no longer called Jacob. You're no longer going to be called deceiver. You're no longer going to be called adulterer. You're no longer going to be called liar. You're no longer going to be called addict. You're no longer going to be called manipulator. You're going to be called God wins. You have a new name, Jacob, and it's Israel. Isn't that a great symbol of grace? This struggle left Jacob with this dislocated hip that affects his walk the rest of his life. People could recognize, as a matter of fact, the scripture says from that day forward, people could see Jacob coming from afar off because they could tell by the way he was limping. And what's interesting is he never had a chance in that battle to win and beat grace. Up until this point, Jacob had contended with men and he had always prevailed. He had always gotten the best of these people. This had been through his own efforts of flesh and arrogance and natural cleverness and strength. He never even thought about being somebody who was submissive. Even in this situation, the habit was so hard to break, he even tries to bargain with God. And he says, okay, I told you my name, what's yours? But the only way to really prevail with God is to admit defeat. So let's look at the devotional part. This is the fun part. I always love this part. Grace never loses a fight. There's a lot here today, guys. A lot here. This picture is an example of how Jesus, how God's grace fights for us, for you, even when we are kicking and screaming and fighting against it. Uh, This verse, John 6, 37 to 40. All the Father gives to me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. 
And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. It's a promise that Jesus will prevail. John 6, 44 and 45. I love this verse. No, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Everyone that has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. You know what that word draw means? I'm not going to, again, I like to show you it up there, but I won't speak it because I don't like to show off. I'm very humble, so I don't want to show off and speak the Greek word. You know that word draw, it literally means to drag. You see where the wrestling concept comes in? You see how this is a picture of Jesus? That word, no man comes to the Father except the Spirit draws him. It means no one comes to the Father except the Spirit grabs him by the scruff of his neck and pulls him along, kicking and screaming to mercy and forgiveness and cleansing. No one comes to the Father unless he is drugged out of his arrogance or self-pity or all those things. No one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father. Because you understand the power of grace. I'm going to give you a new word, and maybe you haven't heard it. It's theocentric. It means it's centered on God alone. It's not uh, a thing where we are synergistically working with God to somehow get grace. Boy, grace is strong and grace is good, but somehow it just needs a little bit of man's intervention. To co- it's, like, it's like there's all the ingredients of grace. It's like a, a box of cake mix, and all you got to do is add some water. No, because you have to add eggs to cake mix, right? So instant pudding. All you got to do is add some water to instant pudding, and boom. And that water is man's ability just to really finally comprehend it, right? No. Grace is all about taking you, dragging you, kicking and screaming, and bringing you to mercy. It's theocentric. You know what else about grace is amazing? It will never relent, even if it takes all night. It will never yield. And it will never fail. And once it wins, it will never vacate the title. It will never depart. There are a couple things I want to show you. When grace engages you, when grace engages in your life, when grace finally gets you on the ropes and takes you on, it will always prevail. Even when we fight it, try to squeeze grace into our own understanding. Well, somehow there's got to be a way for this somehow attempting to reconcile it with our will. Like when Jacob tried to reconcile it by asking for God's name. In the end, It's grace that will totally, completely overwhelm you and bring you into submission. Not submission in a bad way, but submission to heavenly dad in a good way. So that's the first thing about grace. It will always prevail. Second thing, it will leave scars. In Psalm uh, 51, 7 to 8, this is David talking about the fact that he had been confronted about his sin And he's writing a psalm of confession. And some of the things he says in this are interesting. He says, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Then he says, let me hear joy and gladness that the bones you have broken will rejoice. You know what he's saying? God, you have physically crushed me and I am so thankful for the pain. Because see, what can happen, just like with Jacob when his hip was out of socket and he walked with a limp the rest of his life, a battle with grace can leave lasting marks. It can leave lasting scars that remind us of when grace finally broke us. 
It brought relief from our own depravity and provided evidence, just in case we sometimes forget, it provides evidence that its force is alive and real and powerful in our life. You see how grace can leave scars? Some of you have scars from the times that you were Jacob and you were fighting. And grace won, but you still carry some of those struggles and scars. They're reminders. David said, make me hear joy that the bones you have broken, the bones of pride you have broken may rejoice. You know what else grace does? It connects you to heavenly dad. Romans 8, 38 and 39. Boy, this is is one of my favorite verses. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, or things to come, nor powers, nor depth, nor height, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So when grace corners you, when grace leaves a scar with your struggle, and when grace finally connects you to Heavenly Heavenly Dad, that connection is forever. It cannot be undone. There can't be somebody else that comes along and defeats the champion of grace that brought you into submission. That champion is there forever, and you are connected to Heavenly Dad, and there's nothing anyone, including you, can do about it. You know what else grace does? It transforms its target. So what Jacob was before he wrestled with God was completely different from what it was after. He gives him a new name. Do you know why he got a new name? There's a verse in Revelation chapter 2, verse 17. Look at this. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who conquers, overcomes, that's the Greek word nikao, we get the word Nike from. It's pretty cool, right? To him who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, And I'll give him a white stone with a new name written on that stone that no one knows except he who receives it. I got to tell you, I want a new name. I'm tired of Joe. I want something in Hebrew, right, that says six-pack abs. I, I want something in Hebrew that says that guy can dunk like an animal. Not a donut. I'm talking about a basketball. I want a Hebrew nickname that says six foot five. I want a name that says he's not a liar anymore. He's a friend of God. I want a name that says he's not a deceiver or a manipulator anymore. He's a friend of God. I want a name that says he's not a sinful, arrogant, depraved individual anymore. He is my child. I want a new name that says that. Really what the new name is, it's all about our old depravity not being held against us anymore. So you see what grace does. It prevails. It can leave a scar. It connects you to Heavenly Dad. It transforms its target. All of this today gives you a new light that I want to leave with you. And here's really what I want you to take home. Today, I want you to look at your salvation, the day that you believe you trusted Christ in a new revolutionary way. I want you to see your salvation something totally different. Instead of saying, that was the day I trusted Jesus, That was the day I was able to finally figure it out and all the pieces of the puzzle came together and I took that last piece and I put it in place and now I'm walking with Jesus. That was the day that I finally understood everything. That was the day when I realized, okay, now I get it. No. Instead of saying that, I want you to say this. Oh yeah, that was the day I was defeated by Jesus. That's the day 
I got dealt a grace smackdown. That's the day that God used a submission hold on me and I lost, but I won. Does that make sense? That's what happened with Jacob. That's what I want you to do when you look at your salvation. That's exactly how Jacob saw it. The day that Jesus defeated his depravity. Even while Jacob was kicking and screaming and fighting with irresistible grace, that day grace forced him to admit his name, which was deceiver. What about you? What's the name grace is forcing you to admit today? Liar? Thief? Adulterer? Manipulator? Addict? Arrogant religious judger of others? Maybe the name you're supposed to admit is hopeless? Helpless? Depressed? One day, when God gets you on the ropes, you'll realize my name is not good enough. That's my name. I'm not good enough. You win, Grace. Grace that says, I'm not going anywhere until you admit your name. So I can give you a new one. See, here's the greatest comfort about grace, right? This is what I love so much about grace. If God applies it to your life according to his will, it will win, no doubt about it. And there's nothing you or anyone else in the universe can do because he has an unstoppable submission hold. Have you ever wrestled with grace? Any of you? Now that you've got this perspective, can you think, how did God defeat you? You see, grace is a champion that takes our best shot of depravity and stubbornness and will and wins every time. I got to tell you, frankly, as a Christian, as a pastor, I don't want any part of any type of grace that might lose. Do you? I don't want anything to do with a grace that depends upon me. I mean, really, what would be the point of grace that might not prevail? Because at some point, I'd be extra depraved and grace would lose. I don't want anything to do with any type of grace that has just 1% of a chance that it might lose. Because I will tell you, I'll find a way to make it happen. Thank God that's not our grace. Amen? Thank God that our grace is not that grace. I am so glad. Let me give it to you this way. I'm so glad that I don't have a prayer when it comes to defeating grace. See that? I mean, think about it. We know in the past that the scripture teaches us you don't know how to pray. So God helps you. I'm glad that when it comes to wrestling with grace, when it's applied to my life, I don't have a prayer in winning. So it's not the day that I accepted Jesus. It's the day that grace defeated my depravity, forced me to confess my name, and he gave me a new one. Dad, 
We're so thankful that grace is something that is theocentric. We're thankful that it's given to us, not earned. We're thankful that you drag us kicking and screaming from depravity into grace. We're thankful that you never lose a match. And whatever it takes to make us submit, you will do. Because all that the Father has given to you will come. Thank you for winning. Thank you for forcing me to lose so that I might have life. And lastly, thank you for my new name.